Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Tavern Voices podcast. Despite a lack of net neutrality, we are still able to broadcast from one corner of the World Wide Web to another. My name is Kevin King. I am your host with my longtime co-host and good friend, Tyler Crawley. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. I can't believe you threw the net neutrality thing out there, and now we're not going to talk about it. Because... <laughs> It is a fascinating, but we'll save that for another podcast because we're going to go off on a tangent and then we're going to be 45 minutes in and we're like, oh, we didn't get to any of our topics. Any Anything, especially since we broke our record of, of like 10 weeks in a row or whatever we did. That was amazing. I think it was three, but it, it felt like 10 weeks. It did. It did. It did. It. We, we were on a roll there and then uh, extenuating circumstances. Uh, for, I think it was the deep state. The deep state was uh, was was mostly responsible for that. One hundred percent agree. I agree. Yeah, I have- just I did I did throw out the net neutrality thing on purpose though because I, I want people to remember you know any time that there's a big outlash um, against something to then follow up and see what actually happened afterwards. You know what 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 actually came of net neutrality and I, so far we're still all alive. That is true. However, um, if we were to do that more often, I'm pretty sure all forms of political commentary would cease to exist. You know, I've heard people argue that, you know, pundits and talk show hosts and and, uh, columnists and everyone should, you know, be graded on their um, like a scale of how right they were with their predictions and the, the amount of. Uh, like doomsday predictions that have come from both the right and the left, I, you'd have to have you'd have to completely clear out the bench, like every three or four years because it doesn't matter what issue it is, the election, an issue, it's always like this is it, it's over, people are gonna die, like it's the worst thing ever, and so. Um, I think if we were to do that, it, it would sort of end political punditry. So I'm not 100 percent on board with that. Uh, that. You know, you have convinced me. That's totally fine. <laughs> okay. We'll just keep the speculation <laughs> and, and run forward. So I, I know this week we actually have several local uh, great North Carolina stories to get to. And to start us off with a nice appetizer, you have a story about a salad. So I want to let you jump off with that one. Yes, I appreciate that. Uh, when it comes to salads, me and salads are, are, are quite friendly. Um, <laughs> You've never met a salad. <laughs> Caesar salads are salads. I mean, come on. You can Caesar salads are the same thing as eating a hamburger. There's just no bun and burger, but the calories, they still found a way to get involved. Uh, no, so the salad story deals with – so there's an illegal immigrant. Uh, here in Wilmington. And the story, I saw the News Observer picked it up. It it might even go national, to be honest with you, because the headline is woman faces deportation because or deportation because of salad. And I was like, really? Because of a salad? Because the reality is, is that, you know, if you commit a crime and you're here, you know, with a green card or a visa or some sort of temporary uh, immigration status, you can be deported. And so I saw it. I said, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Well, the first paragraph of the article points out that they dropped the charges on the salad, but because of the investigation, they found out that she doesn't have legal status. And so that's why they're thinking about possibly deporting her. So the headline is wrong because that is not why she's being deported. It's why they found out she should be deported, but it's not why she's being deported. Uh, And then if you read the story, 
It goes into more detail uh, about the fact that she's been caught on camera multiple times. At least this is what the um, organization, the restaurant that she worked for is alleging that she had stolen food on multiple occasions. They finally fired her. They called the authorities uh, and then they found out that she wasn't legal. But it's like, the, you know, it's the typical spin. And the thing is, I'm pretty moderate. Um, I get called a, you know, a Paul Ryan, Tom Tillis, open borders Republican. So I'm pretty moderate on this. But, you know, you read this thing and it's hard to feel a lot of sympathy for her because, yes, she has a family and they interviewed the 12 year old daughter and she's all upset. And as anyone would be. But the reality is, is that she's here illegally. Uh, that's that's the first problem. Uh, in the past, she's actually gotten caught and been deported and has come back. So this is not the first time. It's not her, her uh, first rodeo. And then the other one, this one, I cannot for the life of me figure out. She doesn't speak English. So she's been in this country since I think like early 2000s. And she doesn't speak English. Um, she's been deported before. And she still has done nothing to try and become an illegal – to become a legal citizen uh, or just legal status. And now she's being deported because she was stealing from the restaurant that employed her. And you just go, how do you I, – I, I, how am I supposed to feel sympathy for this person? I mean, my argument that I've been making since this story broke is that if you're going to be illegal, and I understand there are going to be illegal people here, you're never going to stop it completely. But I think the lowest bar that we can set is that once you commit your first crime of sneaking into the country, that your life of crime ends. And that if you're then caught committing another crime, it's like, that's it. I mean, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. I don't care what you did, but you're already here illegally. Now you're stealing. And so- it's it, it's the typical spin, like I said, where it's, oh, this poor woman and she's going to be deported and she has a family and it's the worst thing ever. I mean, this is all her fault. And, you know, it, it would be like the same thing as if someone got caught stealing money from a bank and it was like, oh, but her daughter has cancer. Yeah, but she robbed a bank. I mean, it's I get there's a sad story involved and she wants to do all these things, but she broke the law and now she's facing the punishment for it. And I'm just not I'm not going to feel too bad for her. But. The spin is that, oh, this is this is Donald Trump and these awful Republicans. You know, what's to blame for this is Breaking Bad, that that it's oh, OK yeah. to commit to commit crimes as long as you have a good reason for doing it. That's true. People have actually um, argued that Breaking Bad is an example of why we need universal health care. I don't even know where to go on that one <laughs> whatsoever. Well, it's like, oh, if he, had, if he would have had health care. Right. No, I, mean, I, like, I, I, I get the argument. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I think I'm with you on on this particular story because, first of all, I, I am also very moderate on border control, basically because I, I don't understand how people are for gun free, are against gun free zones, but think that you can make like an immigrant free zone as if somehow rules and laws and offense is going to fix the problem. Well, especially but, when the majority of illegals in this country are uh, expired visas and people that were here legally and then their status uh, went up and they weren't able to get a renewal. And so they just stayed. And so you do have people sneaking over the border, but the majority of illegals are visa overstays. And so if you did build a wall, yeah, I mean, first of all, they'd still find a way to get over it. Um, but the majority of people, you know, flew in on a plane and came in through the legal means and the legal uh, ch uh, uh, channels and then just stayed longer than they were supposed to. No, yeah, absolutely. And to your point, I, I think what, what really is th the story here is is the misleading headline. Yeah. 
and I was trying to think of an analogy, um, you know, to kind of kind of relate it. But it's it, it's like saying someone was working at Taco Bell. OK, they stole a taco. They they are investigated or, or charged for it. And then they find out that, you know, they were wanted for a murder in another state. And the headline reads, uh, you know, person extradited for stealing a taco. That's not at all what went down. So I don't know. This just further flames further. What what is the phrase? What am I what am I going for here? This further fuels the flame. (laughs) uh, Fans the flame. I think is what I was going for. This just fans the flame of of dishonest conversation. This is why most people can't sit down and and have a, a common sense conversation about a topic because you have one side or the other trying to really inflame things with dishonest journalism. Well, and then, yeah, it, it's really funny because it's, you know, you look at Donald Trump and this is one of the reasons why you're seeing these headlines, uh, because I was reading something in the, I, I found an article from the economist in December and they said at the end of December, Donald Trump will have deported fewer people than Barack Obama. And you just hear that and you go, what? <laughs> like the guy that wanted to deport, uh, deport 11 million people, uh, the guy that, you know, has used the most divisive rhetoric possible to talk about, you know, uh, Mexican immigrants and others deported fewer people than the global president of the United States, Barack Obama. And what's weird, and this is what I'm starting to realize about Donald Trump, is that he talks, and I guess I should have known this from his history, but he talks very grandiose in terms, and he's going to do this, he's going to do that, but he never follows through on anything. I mean, you're seeing this even with the tariffs, all these exemptions. I mean, pretty soon, no one's going to be facing a tariff. And 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 I guess people argue, oh, well, he does that for negotiating position. But the problem is that it gives off the perception. So when he uses that rhetoric about, you know, Mexican immigrants, and he uses that rhetoric about immigrants that are here and illegal immigrants that are here, and he talks about deporting all of them, you assume that, man, he must really be going after everyone. So every time one of these stories pops up, it it fits into that category and it, and it confirms everyone's bias they already have about Trump, that he's this awful, horrible dictator that's deporting these poor Hispanic people. But then you actually look at the, the, the record and he actually deported fewer people than Barack Obama. And that's just it's it's mind blowing. But if you were to tell a Democrat that, that, you know, that Donald Trump has actually deported fewer people than Obama, there's no way they believe it. They didn't think I don't think they thought Barack Obama deported one person. Uh, and, and so the reason these stories get the attention that they get is because it fits everyone's bias. And the thing is both sides like this story, because if you're a immigration hawk, man, you're so happy that illegal immigrants get in the boot. You don't care if she's got a family or anything else. So the, the conservative, you know, I don't want to say conservative, but like the immigration hawk, like bright barter populist crowd loves it. And the liberal open borders, Donald Trump is the devil loves it. So it's great for everybody. And I think that's the problem is that it fits everyone's bias. And so that's why you see more headlines like that. Even though I saw one, I was also doing research and I found one from San Francisco about a month ago where they were deporting a guy from San Francisco and they made him out to be this like, you know, upstanding individual citizen. And it turned out that at one point under Obama's tenure, he was put on the ICE most wanted list because he was part of a gang. He had been sentenced to like 15 years in prison over the last 18 years. He'd been in and out of prison. He was charged with assault with a convicted of assault with a deadly weapon. I mean, all these horrible things. 
Um, and Obama was the one that put him on that ice list with the Obama administration. Uh, but they tried to make it seem like he was this great person. He was so awesome. Uh, but the problem is, is that it fits everyone's bias. And that's why these headlines persist. But don't you think it also, I mean, it's also still pushing a narrative, right? Because there are people in the middle who aren't going to look any further than the headline, especially in the Facebook day and age where all you do is read the headline and they are going to think that immigration policy is now so bad that people who um, have you know, misappropriated lettuce are going to be thrown out by the, by the multitudes. Yes. Well, no, but I'm saying is, the, the, like I said, I mean, it, you have some people in the middle who will actually read it. But for the most part, especially on immigration, you have really two schools of thought that dominate the debate. And it's those that think all the people should be kicked out and those that think we should open up the borders. And I would actually argue that's the majority of the debate. That's why you don't see anything ever happen with immigration reform, because very few people are in the middle that actually are like, well, I think we should have, you know, my my theories, we should have more immigrants fewer illegal immigrants. We should make it easier for people to get into the country. That that way people won't sneak in illegally if they can get in easier. Uh, but no one supports that because if you do that, then it's either not strict enough for the immigration hawks or it's too strict for the open border crowd. So you don't get anything. And so very few people fall into that category. The majority are hate Trump, love Trump because of his immigration stance. And, and, our, and a headline like that you're going to get everyone reading it or or they'll just click on it and go, yeah, yeah, I love that. They're not actually going to read it because then um, they'd probably be angry about the actual story, <laughs> but they love the headline and they'll click on it. And that's the whole purpose of it. Well, if 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 laws are this objective, I mean, if if being in a country illegally is no longer termed illegal, right, it's 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 an undocumented alien or or citizen or whatever the, the, the current buzzword is surrounding it, then is stealing a salad still illegal? Shouldn't it just be person deported for feeding themselves? <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, it, it's such a bizarre situation because people will always go, you know, someone that sneaks into the country, they'll just say they didn't commit any crimes. Like, you mean, besides breaking into the country, like besides that, um, and there just seems to be this, or even like with drug dealing, like someone gets caught dealing drugs and it's like, oh, but they were, you know, trying to feed their family and you, I mean, you really can't. And so we are getting to the point where it used to be, you know, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Now it's like, well, it doesn't matter so much the crime as it matters what your intentions with the, the ill gotten gains are. So if you were going to, you know, go donate to charity with your, you know, bank robbery money, then that's okay. But if you're just going to rob the bank to like pay for, you know, buy yourself a new car, then that's not okay. Uh, or especially if you're going to buy, rob a bank and give the money to the Republicans, definitely electric chair. So that's sort of the standard uh, that's happened with, with crime in this country. Um, it's, it's become political. <laughs> Bizarrely enough, crime is now a political. Once again – this is all Breaking Bad's fault. That's 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 all I've got on that. So what I wanted to jump to next is um, your. I assume this is your favorite candidate running for sheriff in North Carolina right now, since you fall a little bit on the uh, the communist side of, of gun control, Daryl Fisher. And 
Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about Daryl Fisher, um, who, in case people haven't heard about this, because this is a little bit of a smaller story, not that the uh, person being deported of stealing a salad is major news yet. Which, by um, the way, this story this should be a, a major candidate. story. <laughs> it should be a major story, considering yes. what was said. And But I'll, I'll let you get into it. No, you are absolutely correct. And it's finally gained a lot of traction. The Gateway Pundit um, and some bigger uh, Twitter uh, Twitter personalities have picked up on it. And I think it's finally uh, picked up on Fox News and a, and a couple places like that, which is the exact kind of place that you would find this story. Um, but for those who haven't heard, a video was posted last week of a of a kind of a candidates forum event where a um, Democrat candidate for sheriff in Buncombe County over in the uh, Asheville Western part of the state um, was at this event that was very anti-gun. And he made the comment that um, some people say that you will have to pry guns out of their cold, dead hands. And he just says, well, and the whole room erupts in laughter and he smiles real big and gets a big round of applause. And um, a lot of people started to comment on that and it was taken down off. And he put this on his Facebook page, which was which was step one. Right. Um, so clearly he was promoting what he had done at this event. Uh, the video was then um, captured in true digital fashion and posted to some pro Second Amendment pages, namely the uh, Western North Carolina Second Amendment page. And it just went viral. I think it got about 40,000 hits over the weekend, uh, was picked up by some other major news sources. And um, it's a pretty big story. I mean, you have someone running for sheriff in a pretty moderate you know, fashion. This isn't uh, a, a super far left candidate. Or, or so you thought, uh, essentially saying that he would be okay with having to yes. disarm people by force. Well, what's, what's, what's your perspective, um, my more moderate uh, gun friend? First, I would point out that um, – where are you from again? Oh, I'm from Buncombe County. Oh, okay. So I just wanted to point that out. So, um, Sorry, I should have said my hometown. It sounds very <laughs> ambiguous. <laughs> well, you're trying to push him off on me when in reality this is someone that um, – uh, is representing your hometown. Not that I can really speak that much as someone that was born in DC. That's I was about um, to say, are we going to play yeah. that game? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, probably not the best game to play. Uh, but I, I've, you know, the, the, the official story to me was, was sort of fascinating, but there's some problems with it in that, you know, there are some arguments about how he was making a joke and this is, this is an issue. This is a problem that Republicans get very, um, it's very easy uh, to get sort of confused on this because I don't, I mean, does anyone really think that this guy is going to go out and like kill people and like take their guns? I mean, it was clearly he was making a joke. And so we get into this situation where we get outraged because other people aren't outraged who usually are outraged about jokes that are made at the expense of someone that involved death. Um, and so we always go, oh, liberals have no sense of humor. Democrats have no sense of humor. And then um, when a Democrat makes a joke, we try and play this game where we, we go, well, we're not offended, but you should be offended. But then we make this offended argument. And it, it's such a weird place. And it's so hard to choose, you know, do we get angry about the guy making the comment? Um, I mean, because like I said, I mean, if you watch the whole clip, 
Uh, I mean, people are laughing and, and, and all these things. And so, I mean, does anyone really think this guy's running on the on the platform and we're going to kill all the gun owners and take their guns away? The guy might be a little bit extreme, but I, I don't think anyone's going to successfully do that. Now, I say this, you know, today, John Paul Stevens, the former uh, Supreme Court justice, wrote an op-ed about <laughs> getting rid of the Second Amendment. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe we are getting that extreme. But it's a weird place for Republicans because – do we go, okay, the guy was just joking. We, you know, conservatives make stupid jokes all the time. And we, and then when liberals get outraged, we go, come on, you guys can't take a joke. But we do have a justifiable argument that, well, why aren't you guys the outrage police? Why aren't you guys outraged by this? And it's clearly because he's on their side. And so we're, we're kind of in this really kind of crappy place where either we make a big deal about it and then we look hypocritical because we can't take a joke. Or we don't make a big deal about it and the guy gets away with it. And so I, it's very weird because originally, like I said, I was sort of outraged, but I read more about it. I saw the, like, the entire clip and I said, OK, I mean, it, it's clear. I guess the guy was making a joke. But do we still get upset about it as conservatives when we joke all the time that liberals don't have a sense of humor? I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think I think you're you're definitely on point on that one, because I, I mean, I do not think I mean, clearly looking at the guy is not very intimidating. I don't think a lot of gun owners are worried about about him taking them down. Um, you know, I think the bigger story really is is not as much what he said, but I think it's what he said to the crowd he said it to and that it was much more of an exposing the the pandering side of his platform. Yeah, and I think that's more what people kind of were opening their eyes to is saying, you know, hey, this is someone who very, I mean, you've got an open primary for sheriff. You've got eight people running, I think three Republicans and five Democrats. Any, it, It's it's open to anyone, right? Especially when you have a 20-year sheriff step down. Um, that's the time that, that kind of crazy things happen. So it's good to get information out about candidates that, frankly, people are going to go in there and just vote for someone. Either they've heard the name or, um, you know, or just pick one. That sounds good. You know, whoever lands at the top of the ticket. Um, so I think that's that's the bigger story, because I think what happened following the post going viral is he came out and said, oh, that was taken out of content t- context. I never said that. And people said, well, what do you mean taken out of context? We just shared your video. Right. We didn't we didn't editorialize it. We just said, hey, hear what he said. People were forming their own conclusions. Then he came out and said, well, well, no, I mean, it was just a joke. Yeah, I said that, but I didn't really mean it. So I think I think it was a um, an interesting way that it was handled by the campaign, because obviously they took it down once they realized how bad it sounded. But at first they thought it was helping their case because here he is getting a huge round of applause from anti-gun supporters. Yes. Uh, and, and what's also fascinating is there's there's two other components to this. Uh, you know, for example, you know, I, I was joking earlier about, you know, the op-ed from the, the retired Supreme Court justice about, uh, you know, wanting to, um, you know, get rid of the Second Amendment, repeal it. And I actually am very excited about that, not because I, I think we should repeal the Second Amendment, but because I'm glad to see that finally some liberals are admitting what they want to do. Because far too often in the gun debate, liberals go like, oh, we don't want to repeal the Second Amendment. We just want to, you know, ban bump stocks and we just want to, you know, limit the age and the, you know, uh, magazine capacity and blah, 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 blah. And reality is, is that whenever, you know, I remember when Rubio at that town hall, that, you know, that and that, that famous Florida town hall made the comment about, well, we'd have to ban all semi-automatic weapons and the crowd erupted. And so – be honest, you know, be honest with your argument. And I think that that's also sort of what's happening here where, yes, he's joking, 
But by the reaction, it's clear that people were sort of excited about the idea of taking guns from people. And I think that deep down inside, they truly do support that. The other issue I have with it is that this guy's running for a position of authority. He's running for sheriff. Uh, simultaneously right now, there was um, my favorite my favorite writer for the National Review, Kevin Williamson, uh, announced last week that he was leaving and he was going to be going to the Atlantic. And I think Sir Kevin Williamson's in my opinion, the best conservative writer out there. I, I mean, there's one article that he wrote that I actually carry around in my portfolio. It's so good because I like to read it from time to time because I just it's it's that great. Um, but what what is that article, by the way? Share, don't don't hide that. <laughs> I actually don't I, know. It. It. It's actually sitting in my uh, my uh, portfolio right now. Uh, but it, it's, it's something it's something along the lines of um, when it's something about something about when people see clouds. Uh, they see clouds, but really it's machines. And he basically goes into this whole idea of the complexity of you know clouds and weather, and 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 it's used as sort of an analogy for the complexity of government and society and every. It's it's a fabulous piece uh, that explains why nothing works in government, uh, and it's beautifully written. And like I said, the analogies are perfect. And he it's, it's like an eight or nine page article and it explains it perfectly. But he's also somewhat of a provocateur in a way where he's written some things and. You know, he's talked about, you know, for example, like abortion as a conservative, most conservative, most Republicans believe that abortion is murder. And so he's talked about, you know, women who have abortions uh, and the death penalty. And he's talked about, you know, hanging women that had abortions. Well, there's actually a campaign right now to try and get him fired from the Atlantic. And it, it, unfortunately, it looks like it might succeed, uh, which happens a lot of times to conservatives when they get picked up by, by major outlets. Liberals just go crazy. But what's so bizarre to me is that clearly what Kevin Williamson has argued and what Daryl Fisher have argued, uh, they're, they're, they're saying something provocative with the intent of making a statement about their opinion on an issue. Kevin Williamson's a writer. He writes. That's it. He doesn't pass law. He's not in elected office. In fact, I think he's even talked about how he doesn't vote because he just is so disgusted by the whole process. But he is just getting, I mean, bombarded on a national level. How dare he write for this magazine? Meanwhile, a guy running for sheriff who would actually have the power to do what he's saying. Kevin Williamson can will never be in any position to make abortion illegal to the point where women are get the death penalty. This sheriff could be in a position to confiscate guns and take them forcefully, whatever it's going to be. And so his statement should be far more worrisome to the overall population because he's running for a position of power to do what he's saying he's going to do. I mean, even if he's not actually going to do it, the fact that he said it and put it out there means that maybe it's somewhere in the back of his head. So we should be more concerned about this guy running for sheriff than about a guy who writes for a magazine. Uh, But once again, this goes back to what I said, where – you know, liberals don't agree with Kevin Williamson, but they agree with Daryl Fisher. So let's attack Kevin Williamson and we'll just ignore Daryl Fisher. Uh, but Daryl Fisher has far Daryl Fisher has far more and is more likely to be able to do what he's saying he's going to do because he'll be in a position to do something about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that further goes to a lot of the systematic problems we have as a nation is to just make a broad generalization um, is that you have a breakdown of 
the three branch system, that there is a process involved and you have people who run in the executive branch to just make law. They do what they want unchecked. Um, and, and in Buncombe County specifically, you have, for instance, this this guy running for sheriff who is essentially saying he's just going to, you know, bend laws. I, I don't know. I don't want to twist it that much. But to say that, um, you know, that here is what he wants the policy to be when that's not his job. And you see the same thing with the district uh, attorney candidates running in Buncombe County. Um, you know, people saying they're not going to to potentially charge people who are committing crimes that they don't foresee specifically marijuana crimes. Right. Because they feel like that they, they don't want to to prosecute on that is, is the word I was trying to go for. Um, so I think that's 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 dangerous when you have different branches not fulfilling their role or overstepping into what should be the responsibility of the legislative branch. If the, if they don't like a law, that that's not their decision to change or to refuse to uphold it. Um, you know, and, and I, I just I think that's a big problem. Well, I, I think it is. But I mean, however, let's say uh, something were to happen. I mean, because Buncombe County, I mean, they could pass their own gun laws. Uh, I mean, they are uh, a county that does have authority and can set you know standards for weapons. And let's say they were to pass something that was far more stringent than what the state requires. The, if people didn't follow it, like let's say let's say Buncombe County said, OK, we're going to we're going to not allow guns in our county or whatever. I mean, obviously it would be challenged by the Supreme court and the Supreme court in DC versus Heller is, has upheld this, but let's just say they were to do that. The sheriff's department would be the one responsible for confiscating the guns. Um, and so then he would be involved in it. And he's clearly made his point known that if that were to happen, he would be like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. Uh, and I think that that is the worrisome part is that he's letting his opinion sort of, because other sheriffs would say, Hey, the legislature told me to go do it. I probably wouldn't go confiscate guns. I mean, just uh, I, I don't want to know what would happen if that if that was attempted. Um, but he's clearly letting his opinion be known that if this were to happen, he would be 100 percent on board with that. And hey, if you're in elected office, you know, you have influence on things. I mean, you can uh, have you can influence led, you know, the, the county commission and, you know, he gets elected. You know, maybe another county commissioner gets elected that agrees with them. And then pretty soon they go, hey, let's try this. And that's and so I. That to me is what I think is, is ridiculous is that when someone's running for office, they have to be held to a higher standard than someone who's a, a commentator who has no power other than uh, they just write. But someone that's in office to actually do something that could do something. I mean, he could just say, you know what, I'm going to go confiscate guns. Um, and I'm not saying he's going to. I don't think he's going to do that. But someone that's in a position to do that needs to be vetted far um, you know, deeper than someone that just writes and it just this hypocrisy on an issue like this is just insane to me. Well, and this is also a situation in where um, in a situation in which I am wondering where the, um, you know, the kind of anti-police left is, because isn't this the exact situation, um, you know, where they talk about police brutality and the date, especially I mean, this big issue just happened in Asheville. That's been pretty big news about the police brutality case. And. Yet the left isn't saying, whoa, isn't this a little dangerous for the police to be advocating for for dearming citizens? I, I think that's that's a tightrope that um, I, I think is extremely hypocritical, in, in my opinion. Well, the left, the left is is bipolar on this. I, I, I mean, I, I've never seen uh, such a 
such a vast space between arguments on the same issue. I mean, like, as you pointed out, you know, police brutality. Uh, I think I saw a poll today where it was like the majority of uh, black Americans uh, think that they don't trust the police because, you know, all these shootings they see, even though, you know, police shootings have not gone up or there hasn't been any real change, they get more. It's like the shark attack um, phenomenon when the news starts covering things, people think it's getting worse when in reality it's not. But so the majority of, you know, black Americans and then of course, you know, just liberals in general, because, you know, they see this as an injustice and everything else. And so they're the ones that are arguing about how horrible the police are and we need more oversight and everything else. And then they turn around and go, only the police should have guns. (laughs) Only the police should be the ones that are in control of these things. And it's like, you just said you didn't trust these people. And now you want them to not only confiscate all of our guns, but you want them to be the only ones that have guns. And you can't make both those arguments. They can't exist in the same space. It's the same police force that you don't trust that you are now going to put in charge of confiscation and um, the, the only ones controlling all the weapons. And it's how in the world can you make both those arguments? And no one ever calls them on it. But it's in, it's an insane premise because both of those opinions are the exact opposite of the other. And they make it all the time. Yeah, I, I, I 100 percent agree with you. And I'm glad that you aren't going to try to uh, go vote in Buckingham County for him in the primary. <laughs> I can I can never tell. No, with you, man. I can never good. tell. You know, yeah, it's like the open border thing. You know, it's it's like because I don't want to deport 11 million people. Everyone's like, oh, you're open borders. And so if I'm like, well, I'm OK with some gun restrictions. Oh, I guess you want to confiscate guns. It's like, what the heck? Like, do we really need to? It's like, can I be kind of in the middle? You can't be in the middle anymore. You got to you got to pick a side. You're not allowed to say, well, I don't root for Duke or North Carolina. You got to know you got to pick one. You got to pick one. Especially and, since Maryland's not in the ACC anymore. It's just oh, not fun. Don't even get me started on the depression that I go through every college basketball season uh, being reminded of that. Yeah. You know, and and I wanted to bring up another story that is from Asheville, man. My hometown is really killing it lately. Well, the whole story is not from Asheville. Um, But, Tyler, I know that you've seen this and probably talked about it some, um, how there are candidates all across North Carolina that are running in districts that they either clearly don't live in or allegedly don't live in. And – you know, one is an Asheville city council member, a current city council member. So he's saying he lives in the city of Asheville, who's running in the uh, congressional district in Charlotte. And he is just one of, of many, many candidates who are doing that. And I wanted to, to get your opinion on, on, do you think it matters where you live to where you run? Uh, you know, I saw that article and I read about it and I don't know. Um, I think there's something that's important about it. But, you know, this goes back to my overall theory. I think it was Milton Friedman who made this argument. And he's, you know, because people always argue, we got to elect good people. We got to elect, you know, constitutional conservatives. And they, you know, they got to be 100% on board. And Milton Friedman said, we shouldn't be electing. Well, he said, electing good people is great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the ultimate goal. But obviously, there are far fewer good people than there are bad people out there. And a lot of people, you know, that you can read all the studies about how narcissists are, you know, attracted to politics and actually the way politics is set up where you only run for, you know, a couple, you know, months and only see people every once in a while. It's like built for narcissism. So you get a lot of people that really all they care about is getting reelected over and over again. And so Milton Friedman's argument was it's great to hire, great great to elect the good people, but what we really need to do is make it advantageous for the wrong people to make the right decision. 
And I've always sort of felt that way. And to me, I think that comes into play with the geography question is that, yes, I would love it if everyone was exactly from that area and knew everything about it. But reality is I would rather have a legislature or uh, le- legislator um, who is doing what needs to be done for my community that's you know actually doing that versus someone that's my next door neighbor and sucks at his job. And so I look at it as sort of, as long as the guy is representing the community properly, as long as he's doing what the people want him to do, I don't care where he lives, as long as he's doing the job uh, versus, like I said, someone who's your next door neighbor, but they absolutely are awful uh, in office. It doesn't bring me any uh, pleasure to be like, oh, well, at least the guy lives next door to me and is screwing me. Um, I'd rather, I don't care where the guy lives. The guy could be Skyping in from Alaska, but if he's voting the way I want him to vote, hey, I'm all for it. So you don't think that there is a correlation between people who are from an area and maybe familiar with the people and the culture um, being their representative? I mean, do you do you think that anyone can represent any district? No, I think it helps. I think it helps you make it makes you a better representative. Um, I think so that, so, I I mean, once again, this goes back to my, uh, my point is that I think living in the community will make you a better legislator. But my point is, is that all I want is the person to be a good, is to be a good representative. And so if that person lives in the district, okay, fine. If they don't, okay, fine. But the way I'm going to judge that person is not based on where they live and how far they are from my house. But are they doing what I want them to do? And if you live in the district, you know the concerns of the district, then I think that that helps you. Uh, But there are, like I said, there are people that live in a district and are awful, are horrible representatives. And so, you know, them living in the district, they still seem to have no concept. Uh, Here's a great example. So down here in Wilmington, uh, we have a really liberal member of the city council who is pushing, who's against short-term rentals, just absolutely against them. Why? Because his little neighborhood doesn't like them. And so he's not truly representing the overall, you know, the, the overall area of Wilmington, the hundred thousand of us, he's only representing the, you know, 500,000 people that live in his neighborhood. And so I would rather somebody who's from DC get elected and then vote to keep short-term rentals and, you know, put small regulations on them or whatever, but allow this to continue for the benefit of our community. Um, But so sometimes actually living can actually give you sometimes maybe even a biased perspective. If you're living in say the city versus the suburb or the suburb versus the city, you know, what's good for the suburb isn't good for the city. What's good for the city isn't necessarily good for the suburb. And so you're never going to have someone that truly understands the entire area unless they listen to everyone and talk to everyone. And, like I said, it, it comes down to are they a good legislator or not? But I think it makes you a better legislator being being and having a connection to the district that you're in. So living there helps. But once again, I still judge them based on their their overall performance. Oh, I, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I was actually just trying to trip you up and see what you would actually say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. It, I think there are so many factors that play into the representative system. I don't think that walking someone into geography necessarily fixes that. I think this brings out an interesting, in my opinion, uh, narcissism of the candidates who think that they can run somewhere two hours away from where they live and win the affection and respect of the people. I mean, good for them at, you know, 
try it, see what you can do. I think it would be extremely difficult. I also think that it could be beneficial. People are always talking about term limits. And I think people get entrenched because you get these, you know, families or or individual representatives who have just live somewhere in the community for 50 years and everyone just votes for them over and over for whatever office they run for. And they may not actually be doing a good job. So I think this could actually be a way of switching out representatives more easily. I mean, let's say someone from Asheville runs in Charlotte and does a bad job. It's going to be a whole lot harder for them to stay in that district because they don't have the ties that would keep an incumbent in. So, I I mean, I, I think it could it could offer more problems and and some solutions at the same time. Well, I I think it comes down to, once again, what office you're talking about. Uh, Obviously, if you're talking about county commission or something, you know, living in the county, I mean, I'm not saying it should be a requirement, but you're clearly going to be better served living in that, uh, living in um, the county. But if you're a state rep, I mean, it's the same thing with Congress. There's a reason that Congress has no uh, residency requirement. And people think that's ridiculous, but why? I mean, if you're on the state level, you're not voting. I mean, it, it might help for you to go up there and, and advocate for things that will benefit your community. But let's face it, the votes that we pay most attention to, the votes that get most of the attention uh, are statewide things. Like, are you going to vote for tax cuts? Are you going to vote for education spending? And those have nothing to do with the individual counties. Uh, And so the problem that we have in our society is that as, interestingly enough, even as more and more information is available at our fingertips, we're becoming more and more focused on national issues or state issues instead of local issues. And so if we're not going to care about local issues, why should your legislator? I mean, if the if the constituents don't care about it, then why should the the representative? And so I think once again, um, it comes down to the performance of the representative. And for someone to be a good representative, they have to be in contact with their constituents to know what they want and what they're asking for. And so if someone can do that, but let's say let's say they have great uh, constituent services, but they don't necessarily live, you know, they live right outside the district. I think that community is better served with that guy. And so, yeah, I mean, someone that lives like four hours away is probably going to have a difficult time, you know, connecting with people. But I think what happens when you get into these geographical, you know, uh, requirements is someone could live, let's say, a mile out of the district. You know, that guy can't represent the district now, even though he tend, even though he's going to do a great job. And so I think that's the problem that you run into. It, it turns into like this just sort of. Um, kind of dumb thing where someone that would do a good job is excluded from doing that. Uh, But I think people are served by being in the district that they're representing because they'll have a better understanding of the people that they're representing. Well, one final point, let me ask you about this because I, I I mean, I think we're kind of both on the, on the, on the same page. You know, there's some, there's some good points and there could be some negatives. One negative I just thought about was, does this, does someone living anywhere really favor those who have means? And like I said, who are narcissistic enough to just jump in and run in another area versus someone who has to be from, say, a more, you know, poor rural county if just a wealthy person from, say, Wake County runs out in northeastern North Carolina in one of these, you know, smaller, more rural districts, you know, is is that just helping someone get into office who is doing it for the fun of it? But you could also argue, though, that let's say you're from a poor rural district and you elect someone who is in the same, you know, state, doesn't have a lot of money. If they go to say, let's say Raleigh, for example, 
Um, and you, you sort of see this a lot of times, um, people that are there for a while, they might be from some maybe bigger areas. If someone has a lot of money and they're sort of can self finance and they can sort of, um, uh, you know, self finance their campaign, they might actually be more effective because they might be able to go to Raleigh and, and turn into somewhat of a, a player because they have the resources to do that. You know, they can maybe get an apartment there and stay there and stay there for the late night meetings and everything else. Meanwhile, someone who's from the district that maybe has a job and has to work and they can't be up there all the time, they might actually their 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 voice might not even matter to some of uh, the people in Raleigh. And so if someone goes, hey, I want to represent that district and I'm like a powerful, you know, rich person and I got nothing better to do, but I really want to be a representative, that district might actually benefit from that. Because that person might have more sway than someone from the area who's going to be looked at as someone, you know, look at this idiot, like they, they brought up here. Like he has no influence or anything like that. You elect a billionaire, he's going to have some say. I mean, it, that's just the way that it is. And so there are negatives and positives. Once again, it depends on how well that person represents the district. Yeah. I mean, I love hypothetical debates as much as the next person. And I think what I got out of that was was you saying that as long as someone goes up there that's wealthy, they can help influence the cronyism. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, that's, the, that's the Donald Trump argument, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, he gives this, money to everybody. Well, he's a billionaire and people are going to listen to, you know, to billionaires. And, and, you know, here he is. He has some sway. I mean, he has some influence. And having influence is, is definitely not a bad place to start. And it might actually end up helping the district, even if the person necessarily um, isn't from that district. And like I said, there are negatives, too, because the person might not care at all. But then, hey, that's why you have elections, elect, you know, kick the guy out of office. But it might actually end up helping the district in the long run. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any more we can talk about that unless we just start making it more. So let's say hypothetically he's from the district but lives somewhere. No. Um, <laughs> if he has five houses, you mean? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what? why can't he run in all five districts if well, he has was, vacation homes? Well, I think he should be five times the power. There you go. Everyone benefits. Uh, all districts benefit if the guy has five times the voting power. But there was one guy. Um, oh, what was his name? Uh, he's really big involved in GOP politics. Uh, oh, I can't remember his name now, but he has like a funeral home or something in one of the districts. AJ so Dowd. Like, yeah, AJ Dowd. So he moved into the funeral home. I actually would say, you know what, if you have a business in the district, I would say you're even more motivated to make that district good. So, I, I mean, to me, if I was a, a, a resident, I'd be like, heck yeah. Because that guy has even more motivation to make that town prosperous because that helps his business. And so, and yeah, if, I mean, I actually think that that's a good thing. You know, if you're going to live in a funeral home, that takes dedication. <laughs> it's not like someone's living in their beach house to say they're from the beach district. Like, yeah. I, I don't know that I would just move into a funeral home to run for office. So maybe that, that actually has a, a little bit more. places to sleep. So, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's probably nice and quiet. So the last story <laughs> I wanted to get to is what I think is, and we've, I've been holding on to this for a couple of weeks, is, is one of the more entertaining stories in North Carolina elections so far. And that is Linda Coleman's website, uh, quote, being hacked by potential Russian interference. And for those who haven't seen this story, 
Linda Coleman, who she ran for lieutenant governor last time around uh, on the Democratic side. She's run twice. Okay, twice. Even better. She ran She ran against Dan Forrest twice. She um, is now running for Congress, and she – so the, the, the headline in the story would – so the headline is from uh, News and Observer, Russian meddling in NC elections. Someone in Moscow bought a candidate's website name. From ABC 11 News here in Raleigh, the headline is NC congressional candidate warns of Russian meddling on her campaign. So all of the news agencies would have you think that that Trump and the Russian collusion has gotten to NC politics. Is that what happened, Tyler? <laughs> um, is it from what I read, remotely close to what happened. Now, and, and this is more your area than mine. I, I do dabble in uh, you know websites and things like that, uh, but not on a more professional level than, than than you know obviously that you do. But from what I could read, is that what ended up happening was is she let her website domain lapse, and then a spam website bought it. And she assumed that it was like Moscow who cared about her election and was trying to influence things. Because in in my experience, I've had websites that lapse. And then what happens is, is these like spam bots will buy them in the hope that, you know, you want it back and that you'll then buy it from them. Uh, so to me, that's sort of what happened here, but I could be wrong. So I'll, I'll, I'll let, like I said, you know more about it than I do. No, no. I mean, you nailed it on the head. I mean, that's exactly what, what happened as she let it expire and it was just purchased up by one of these spam companies. Uh, what they did is they threw up. And the reason they do this um, for a more technical side is, A, you're right. You might want to pay them a lot of money to get it back. And they can usually charge a super high premium, especially internationally. I mean, you you can buy a .com for 10 or 12 bucks a year. You let it lapse and you might spend two or $3,000 to get it back. So it's very lucrative. Well, and I also want to, yeah, and, and, and it should also be noted that that used to be a very lucrative um, sort of. Uh, entrepreneurial uh, idea in the United States. Like back in the day when the internet first started, people would buy like Coke.com and then all of a sudden Coke was like, we need a website and and they have to pay the person, you know, million dollars. But there's now a law that you can't do that. You cannot um, sit on a website and hold it solely within reason. I mean, so you could maybe sell it to Coke for like a couple thousand, but you couldn't hold it for ransom and say, you're not, you know, you're going to hold on to it forever. There are laws now, but it doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to international. So that's why a lot of international uh, companies do this because there are laws in the United States from someone buying your uh, domain and then uh, parking uh, or just sitting on it and sort of holding it for ransom. Uh, You can't do that in the United States. So internationally, it's far more uh, profitable. Yeah. And the the second major reason that they do this is due to the prominence of SEO, search engine optimization, um, and that the Google algorithms and everything have become much more complex that if they suspect your site of being purely spam, it won't let people go to it. But if you put up a fake page and it has all of the same original links and everything, which you can get from archive.org keeps a record of every website ever, um, which is actually really cool if you want to go back and check out some 
awesome GeoCity sites from 10 or 15 years ago. <laughs> um, but you do that. And then people, when they're searching for things, so when you search Linda Coleman, this is probably still going to pop up in Google because all of the SEO is there from when it was a legitimate website. You click through it, then you click on it and you go to their mail enhancement website and where you get malware and spam and, and everything else. And so that's exactly why they did it. It doesn't take much research. And as you will have heard, I didn't mention anything complicated other than common sense tactics as to why this happens. Yet every news article, as I just read, would have you think that this was some sort of direct interference in our uh, electoral process, which is just absurd. Well, it's also, you know, Linda Coleman's not exactly the uh, smartest person on the planet and I wasn't going there. I I will. Uh, And so she jumped on it and I mean, let's face it, this is, uh, (laughs) I'm going to make a comment and Kevin, you're not allowed to get mad at me. Um, (laughs) It's a great way to preface it. um, But Linda Coleman is turning into the Greg Brandon of the left where she's basically just running for any office that she possibly wants. And, and I think Greg Brandon is actually a smart person though. Um, Linda Coleman's stupid, but she's already kind of a joke because I mean, you run for office once you get your name out there, you run a second time uh, and you better have done better than the first time. Even if you don't win, maybe a third time, but you're pushing it. Really, you can only run for office twice. She ran for lieutenant governor twice, lost, and lost even worse the second time to Dan Forrest. So now she's like, oh, I'm going to set my sights on Congress. And it, and like I said, Brandon did the same thing. He ran for Senate, ran for Senate, and then he ran for Congress. And she's looking for anything to get her name out there. Uh, because a lot of people are going to be like, oh, here's this, you know, here she is running for office again. You only see her name during elections. So she thought, oh my gosh, look at this. Wow. I can bring attention to myself. And if I can make it look like the Russians are trying to keep me out of office, all these liberals are going to vote for me. Uh, but you know, she basically just ran with a story that she had no idea what she was talking about. Well, and the story would have you believe that we are actually using state resources through, um, the AG's office to try to actually track this down. And it's the biggest non-story that I've seen. And they mention getting the FBI involved and doing all this. I, I just don't understand how we can't have a news agency that would say at some point in the article, but the most likely outcome is that it is just that the domain expired. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I don't think she, and the thing is, is that, I almost want to be like, well, I'll cut her some slack because I highly doubt she did the website. She probably hired someone. I doubt she has any real, uh, you know, experience with with the web. What would and what would put you onto that idea? <laughs> and so, and the thing is, is that the way the media just goes crazy with stories like this. I mean, look at the way they're going crazy with this Cambridge Analytica. I mean, listen, I I, I don't like the fact that this company stole data from 50 million people. I think that that's an issue. I think Facebook is going to have to answer for that. But the idea that they flipped an election. I just, it's so insane. I, I always thought it was BS when they made it look like Facebook is the reason Obama won. Uh, it just, it's, it's just ridiculous. But I, I remember reading this great article um, on, I think it was on the cracked website. They for a while had some great articles and somebody was talking about how computers uh, in the nineties became Russia in movies in that, you know, for the longest time in the eighties, the cold war, you know, leading up to the eighties, of course, even in the seventies, um, you know, even going back to the maturing candidate, to be honest with you, uh, you know, Russia uh, was, you know, our big enemy and they were trying to do things. And then when, you know, the Soviet union collapsed, we needed a new enemy and Hollywood decided computers was it. 
because just like Russia, we didn't know anything about computers. The majority of people don't know anything about computers. And so computers are these magical objects to most people that can do anything and can influence people and they can control things. And, you know, you watch Terminator and everyone's freaking out about Skynet. Uh, but they became this like, you know, amazing, you know, machine that can do anything. And so if you don't know anything about computers and your only experience is movies, yeah, you could think that, oh my gosh, like all, you know, they, they, they have no idea. She just has no concept of the internet and how all these things work. And really, you know, she, she, she made a mountain out of a molehill, but you know, in reality it was, it was nothing more nefarious than, uh, a spam bot, <laughs> which which has happened to domains I've had. I'm sure it's happened to domains that you've had. Uh, and anyone that's experienced know it's not a big deal, but she's never experienced that before. So she freaked out because that's what people do when they don't understand something is they automatically assume, you know, it's like I said, the deep state or it's this, you know, terrifying, horrible thing when in reality it's just something benign that's stupid. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point that you brought up about computers being kind of the new enemy because I just rewatched the most recent James Bond, which obviously the James Bond series series was notorious for, um, you know, uh, us versus the the Russians and and the the Soviet empire and the latest, uh, have you seen Spectre? Yes, I have. Okay, so I'm not just talking at you, but but you know the the enemy is essentially mass intelligence now. It's the surveillance yeah. state, and I think that's fascinating. That that's truly where we're going. Well, and the thing is, though, is that you know the way I look at it is, and this is kind of always the way. In my opinion, this is always kind of true. Is that the really horrible things that are happening behind the scenes that we're not aware of? We're not aware of. And so the idea that like if someone was really trying to hack into Linda Coleman's congressional campaign and, and, and she would not have found out about it because of her stupid campaign website and, you know, someone was tapping into all these things. It's it's such it's like this argument that these that these institutions, like I said, like this whole, you know, deep state conspiracy that continues to exist on the right. This idea that they're this all powerful, all controlling um, entity that can do all of these, you know, they can murder people without a trace and do all these things, yet they couldn't stop Donald Trump from getting elected. Um, it's like, hold on, what? And so the Linda Coleman thing is kind of the same thing where it's like, wait, you're telling me you caught them? Somebody with no, you know, computer experience, you've caught on to something. You're the one, not like all, you know, the FBI or the CIA or, you know, a hacker out there or, you know, a whistleblower. No, no, it was you who has no computer experience ever. Linda Coleman was the one that discovered the Russia influence into North Carolina politics. It's just, it's laughable because it, it sort of disproves itself because right. if it's that easy for them to find. They're not all that powerful and that influential. Right. And their big, um, you know, their big plot to take you down was to have your old website <laughs> be a click through to mal enhancement pills. That's yes. so that, yeah. that was the that was the big plot. And they succeeded and all is all is lost. All is lost. Well, what also is lost is the all of the time that yes. we did have to do this. So not the best segue I've ever had, but it will just have to do on this occasion. So thank you again uh, for joining me, Tyler. Uh, and, I appreciate um, it. I do want to promo a little bit. I'm, I'm, I've invited Tyler to come on my podcast as a guest, and I will see that we can make it vastly different than the 
Tower Crawley After Hours show that you're listening to now. So, <laughs> I, you know, I think I think that's important. That's uh, kind of put me on the defensive. I think would would be would be uh, um, uh, interesting reversal. I will put on my um, Mike Wallace thinking cap and see how I can I can really uh, really get inside your brain. You can be Anderson Cooper and I'll be Stormy Daniels. On that note, <laughs> thank you for listening to Tavern Voices. I'm Kevin King. That was Tyler Crawley, and we will see you next week. <laughs>